Welcome to America's Retirement Headquarters, home of the Retirement Guys Formula and America's Medicare Associates. Securities offered through Peak Brokerage Services, LLC. Advisory services offered through the Retirement Guys Formula. Registered Investment Advisor, America's Retirement Headquarters, America's Medicare Associates, and the Retirement Guys Formula are separate and independent entities from Peak Brokerage Services, LLC. Welcome you into and thank you so much for joining us here on America's Retirement Headquarters, home of the Retirement Guys Formula and America's Medicare Associates, the Nolan Baker and Scott Kirshner, and myself. My name is Chris Swan. Here's how I reach out to the show, 419-794-3030. That's 419-794-3030. Always online, day and night, americasretirementheadquarters.com. On today's show, there are hundreds upon hundreds of different options when it comes to claiming your Social Security. So the question is, when is the right time for you? And with the tax filing deadline just weeks away, are there any last minute things you should do? But first, let me check in. I did say the show is normally with Nolan Baker and Scott Kirshner. Occasionally, it is uh, Chaz Price. So I have Scott and Chaz here with me today. Guys, glad to be with you. How are we? Yeah, we're doing well, Chris. Uh, yeah, Nolan's down in uh, sunny Florida right now. He's been down there for a couple of weeks, but uh, glad to have you, Chaz. And looking glad forward to, to a good show. Um, you know, this crazy uh, Northwest Ohio weather, it was 70 degrees the other day, and it's 30 degrees now, so <laughs> I can't wait until we get something a little bit better coming down uh, in spring here, right? Yeah, I feel bad for Nolan being down in Florida, you know, yeah, he, guy. On it. he sent me a text this morning, and um, I told him some information I had on the client. He said, oh, that's great news. That's the best news I'm going to hear. I says, are you kidding me? You're sipping umbrella drinks on the beach in Florida. How can that be the best <laughs> news you're going to hear today? You know, it's just a good metaphor for retirement, honestly, because while we do all want those 72 degree days, you know, throughout our retirement, we're going to have some snow, we're going to have some rain, we're going to have those less than pristine days when it comes in. So you need to have a plan in place to account for all of those. And that's what we're here for on the show is to get you aware of those and develop a strategy to an all weather plan, I guess, when it comes to your retirement. So again, the number is 419-794-3030. I mentioned uh, Social Security right there at the start. And once seniors reach the age of 62, that's when they can begin taking Social Security benefits. But it does come at a cost because the monthly check you receive goes up each year that you delay taking it. Essentially, the earlier you take it, you're giving yourself a permanent pay reduction. There was an article in The Motley Fool that looked at three different ages to claim Social Security. Guys, if you don't mind, let's run down the list and tell us how you typically advise clients as far as when to go about claiming. Well, uh, Chris, I'll take this one. This is kind of my bag. Uh, we get asked a lot about Social Security, and I think it's probably one of the most important decisions that we help our clients make. And one of the things that we help them do is just first off, understand really what the value is with Social Security. And so Social Security, first and foremost, it's a, a monthly income that you cannot outlive. And so that's an important, uh, important feature because for most retirees today that don't have access to traditional pensions, uh, Social Security is going to be a big part of their, their income throughout their retirement uh, lifetime. Secondarily, it's not chump change. I mean, if your benefit is roughly about $2,000 today, uh, 30 years from now, you're going to be having uh, drawn about a million two from Social Security. Hmm. So it's a pretty big chunk of money. It also keeps up with inflation. And we all know that silent killer inflation is, you know, uh, one of the, the, the biggest expenses that you're going to have. It just constantly is eating away at your uh, purchasing power. And so you need investments that are going to keep up with that. And so historically, Social Security has kept about a 2.6% uh, rate of inflation going forward. You know, those are some of the things that we talk about first with Social Security. And obviously, there's three big uh, dates when people look at taking Social Security. Uh, first is age 62, mm -hmm. which is as soon as possible. Uh, I know a lot of people typically will consider taking that. I mean, 67% of the population in the United States is taking a reduced benefit, um, whether it's uh, they're concerned about you know, not, get, not living long enough to get the, the full benefit from it, or maybe it's an entitlement thing. But we do know that people are living uh, longer than ever, and that's one of their major concerns with retirement is outliving their money, yet 67% of the people are, are taking Social Security early. I run into that a lot, Chaz, where, um, uh, you know, signing people up for Medicare, you know, they may retire prior to 65, so they're not eligible for Medicare. 
And I, the first thing I ask is, are you taking Social Security? And a lot of them say, oh, yes, I'm taking it. I'm taking it as soon as I can. And I, and I always throw out a why. Yeah. And like you said, the, one of the big reasons is I've paid into it. I want my money. Exactly. And they said, well, what if I die? And, and I don't know. I have a different perspective on it. Um, if you die, you know, unfortunately you die. But so what if you don't collect anything? Yeah, it's, it's really you know, about I mean, maximizing the yes, dollar. Yes, exactly. Taking exactly. everything from it that you can. Yeah, and that, that's a good point. And so, you know, thinking about when you're going to take Social Security involves a lot of that question, those questions that you're throwing out mm-hmm. there is, are you still working? And so there's three, really three considerations that we have for people that are thinking about taking Social Security. The first would be, are you still working? And so if you're going to take Social Security early, around 62, prior to your full retirement age, there could be a penalty right. for, for taking Social Security and still working. Uh, the government doesn't like you to double dip. so they're going What's to the maximum you. you can make prior to full retirement age? Prior to full retirement age is $19,000 approximately, uh, or they take $1 of every $2 over that in your benefits. So it doesn't pay. Yeah, doesn't pay to do it. So it's definitely something you want to consider. The other thing I talk to people about with Social Security is it's based on your top 35 earnings years. Right. And so if you're still you know, working, if you're in the peak earnings years of your work history, maybe it would make sense to hold off on taking Social Security mm-hmm. for a couple of years because if you're getting... You know, if you're if you're going to be able to replace one of those 35 with a higher year uh, in earnings, it's going to help your benefit quite a bit. I came into that situation with a client I had uh, earlier this past week, and uh, he said, well, you know, my new job I'm in right now, I'm making more money now. So I'm sure that that is going to give me a little bit more in my Social Security when I do draw that. Yeah. You know, so that, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And we can help you figure that calculation out. You can also go to ssa.gov and just download a a record of your earnings history, and we can help you walk through that. The second consideration I walk through with all my clients is longevity. And like I said earlier, people are just living longer. We do seminars. We did one in October Mm -hmm. uh, last year about Social Security and Medicare, and I always like to ask in the room if anybody knows anyone that is over age 100. And usually there's about a, a hand or two that goes up, and then I ask how many people actually feel like 100, and then every <laughs> hand in the room typically goes up. Exactly. <laughs> but um, uh, there are currently about 2.5 million people on Social Security in the United States right now that are over the age of 90, and 70% of them are also over the age of 100. So there's a pretty good likelihood that you're going to get uh, to 90 if you're you know, already in your 60s right mm-hmm. now. Uh, and then maybe even beyond that. Do you guys remember, I think this was probably in the early 90s, Willard Scott? Uh, he was kind of the, uh, Al Roker does yeah, his spot yeah, yes, now. Yes, yes, on, yes, um, yes. But he would always have uh, a piece that, where he highlighted somebody that reached age 100. And I think now Al Roker does that, but you got to be like 105. Yeah. And if you you're beyond 100 now because longevity is, is people are just living longer. And so that just kind of gives you an idea of, you know, oh, sure. Even longer. sure. And then lastly, we talk about your spouse. So the thing we caution or one of the major considerations we have for our clients is that when you're making Social Security decisions, make sure that you look at it in the context of your spouse as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason being is that the majority of women in the United States are drawing Social Security benefits based on their spouse's earnings record. And so by holding off by waiting to collect Social Security past your full retirement age and beyond, maybe up until age 70, at which point it doesn't really make sense to wait any longer. Right. But by doing that, you're locking in you know, an extra 24% of that benefit. And so your spouse is draw, could potentially draw you know, a higher benefit just based on the fact that you waited. Because if, God forbid, something happens and you die, your spouse gets to collect the higher of the two. They can collect either their own or their spouse's, whatever is greater. Right. And that's, that's exactly what happened with my dad. You know, I, I, we talked about this. Dad passed away. Mom's Social Security dropped. And then they added a portion of that to, to dad's. And she got more 
on the Social Security because, uh, you know, Dad did things right. And uh, I know that he waited until full retirement age to draw Social Security. So, so that's obviously it worked out well uh, for them. But that's a, that's, that's a real example of exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 65, is 65 the optimal time? It really depends, honestly. And I, I know I say that that's always an answer in financial planning. But <laughs> 65 is kind of the age when people really start considering, you know, Social Security just sure. because they're, they have to make a lot of other decisions at age 65, Medicare. But what we do is what's called a Social Security optimization report, Scott, mm-hmm. where, you know, if we're going to look to see what gives our client the best probability of success, meaning not running out of money. And in some cases, it would make sense for us maybe to delay Social Security and take it at maybe even beyond age 65 mm-hmm. um, and, you know, draw on some other assets on their invest on the investment side to kind of bridge that gap. Uh, it also depends on what your full retirement age is. Right. Um, I believe if you're born before 19... Uh, 37 or earlier, your full retirement age is 65. Right. And then, you know, most people are somewhere between that 66, 67 range right, right now. The people I'm running into right now with Medicare are all 66 and six months or 67. Mm-hmm. You know, so one of the things, like you mentioned, with age 65, one of the big things that happens, and it's not happening like it used to years ago, but I mean, what happens at 65? You know, you turn 65, you retire. You sign up for Social Security and uh, uh, and and uh, Medicare. I mean, those are the the, the big things that used to happen Knock at sixty five. Yeah, well, that's not happening anymore. Um, people are are working past sixty five. Um, you know, one of the big misconceptions I think is the uh, full retirement age. A lot of people say, "Well, if I reach full retirement, I have to retire." Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the case at all. You don't have to retire just because you reach full retirement age. Full retirement age is the age, uh, you know, for those that are 66 and a half, that's when they can draw their, their Social Security without having any drastic penalty with income. Right. And continue on. Another thing to keep in mind is when you do sign up for Medicare, Medicare can lower your Social Security payment at 65 because it comes right out of your Social Security check. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's another big thing to keep in mind, uh, keep in mind there. You know, so obviously the optimal time to take it is to wait to 70. Most of the calculations that we run, age 70 shows the greatest possibility and probability of success because you've let that benefit cook for as long as it could. Sure. You've got the maximum locked in for Social Security. It does sometimes beg the question, though, of how long do we have to live in order for that decision to make the most sense right, right. that break-even point right the break-even point yeah what yeah. is what is the i know it's hard to say because it's different with everybody but what would that be I, i've heard numbers of anywhere from 82 to 84 is kind of like a break-even is that yeah. kind of an average that's pretty that's pretty good you know right. i would think another 14 or 15 years after age 70 is when you hit that break-even point sure and so um we don't like to just have our clients break even we want them to be, you know, right, better course, than yeah. successful. So we'll make a lot of those decisions in the context of their financial plan, making sure that we optimize every single dollar that they have and uh, ultimately improving their, their success and also the success of their spouse. Sure. Uh, depending on how, you know, what the age difference is and, and what their benefits uh, options are as well. So we take all that into consideration and then we give you, a, you know, kind of our, our best guess estimate, which makes the most sense. We look to see if that's possible based on your investment assets. And um, so there again, I guess the down. answer to the question is, what's the optimal time? It depends. It, it does. <laughs> As a, all things usually in finance. Yes. It's a very ambivalent answer, but we can't really just give a, you know, a cookie cutter answer for everybody out there because no one's situation is going to be uh the same is it going to be, you know, your neighbors, your friends at church, things like that. Let me ask you something, and I could very well be wrong. If you claim Social Security and you realize you made a mistake, you turned it on too early, is there a, a window where you can basically have a mulligan? Yeah, you've got 12 months. Okay. You've got the first year basically to pay back everything that you got from Social Security. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it is an option. And actually, we, we have had a couple of clients do that. There's a few uh, advisors in the office. I know that they've they've worked through that issue with the clients, and oh. it's been to their advantage, obviously, to do so. So, it's a little painful, sure. but yeah. you know, 
it, it's going to make sense in the end. So again, yes, that is possible. Making more, you know, down the line by delaying, there's a lot of, of virtue to that. I think if I can weigh in here, I, why people claim it's 62, a lot of people I would imagine is because, you know, you hear these stories about the Social Security trust going solvent by 2034 right. or 2035. It, it's going to, quote unquote, be out of money. And so I think a lot of people are saying, I want to go ahead and get it while I can get it. I've, I've spent so much time paying into it. And there's a number of different reasons why we're in the situation that we are people living longer, less people paying in. I think when Social Security was, was uh, you know, first incepted, it was something like 150 workers to every one person claiming Social Security. Now the ratio is closer to three to one. So uh, a lot of reasons why the numbers are going that way. But I would venture to say, and I can't imagine that you guys are telling clients that Social Security is going to be done. It's not going to exist after 2034, after 2035. They're going to find a way to keep it afloat. Uh, <laughs> the way the government spends money, uh, I would be shocked to see Social Security go bankrupt. I think that's, yeah. that's my two cents. <laughs> Take it for what it's worth, but I tell you what, I just can't see that happening. Yeah, and I think if anything, maybe just continuing to extend the age at which you can qualify for That's what I see. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe even reducing benefits. It's amazing how just a small change like that could make a significant impact sure. on that deficit that you speak about, Chris. But you're right. That's a valid point. Almost every single piece of research that I've read about it shows that there is some uh, insolvency around that 2035, 2037 mm -hmm. uh, time frame. So in some cases, we can run your financial plan not you know, uh, include, not including Social Security, but it is definitely not something that uh, the majority of our clients age 65 to 70 year olds are, um, are, are having us consider. Now, maybe for a younger individual, um, and, and, and Social Security could look like a lot of different things. I did mm -hmm. some research in my uh, undergrad about that, and it, you know, it could be something where maybe we get a, um, an account where they just deposit kind of like a 401k and the government gives you a certain amount of money and they say, okay, there's your social security, go do something with it. So that's a possibility as well. But no, I don't think that social security would completely ever be eliminated. It would be akin to political suicide. I think for anybody yeah. in Washington that right. would do away with it. They have tried to kick the can down the road. You talked about that tax threshold, the $19,000 is when you hit that first threshold where 50% of your benefit could be taxed. Uh, that went into effect in the 80s during the Reagan administration. That tax threshold has not increased since the Reagan administration. And if you're married, I think it's about 32,000. Again, they could increase. They could. There's a 50% tax penalty, correct? And a 85% tax penalty? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For Social Security benefits, mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. If, you, if you make over a certain amount of money, uh, Social Security, not all of your benefits are taxable. Mm -hmm. Um, it's usually either zero, 50 or 85% of the benefits are taxable. So it's kind of a rub that a lot of people have is that you paid taxes to get social security. Then you pay tax on your social security benefits that you paid tax to get. And then when you go to buy goods and services, there's a tax on that. So it's social security benefits are taxable. And that's a, a big uh, concern right now as we're coming into tax season and the finishing up is, you know, Good a lot segue. Of, yeah. Right into the next section. Yeah, right yeah. Here. exactly. If, if you're looking at a big tax bill this year, you know, the markets, we had a, a pretty decent year in, in 2021. There's a lot of capital gains and some, some uh, distributions that clients received. And then, you know, that also contributes to your taxability of your Social Security uh, benefits. And so you have to be cognizant of what's coming in you know, income-wise, because that does affect the taxability of your Social Security. We're going to talk more about uh, the tax season, the 2021 tax season in just a second. Let me give out the number really quick, 419-794-3030. If you have questions about when to claim Social Security, and again, don't claim it just at 62 because you want to get it while you can, because as we mentioned here with the taxation situation, it could be a, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face sort of situation. Yes, you're getting the check, but if you're paying it back in the form of taxes, What's the point? Very much so, measure twice, cut once. Sit down and speak with someone like the team at America's Retirement Headquarters and figure out the optimal situation for you, 419-794-3030, or go online to americasretirementheadquarters.com. The tax filing deadline is right around the corner, the day after Easter, as a matter of fact, April 18th. And if you didn't put the maximum amount of money into an IRA or an HSA last year, there is still time, the deadline to make those contributions, same date, April 18th. Is this always a good idea, guys? If you can afford it, do you advise anything else that, that can be done before the deadline? I will tell you this. 
I think it's always a good idea to maximize your contributions if it fits your budget and fits your. If you're able to do so, why not do it? Right. Yeah. I would always say, do it till it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, put money in until you can feel it uh, in your paycheck. It's yeah. gonna it's gonna benefit you for sure. You know, we were talking about all of the taxation, and and one thing I will tell you, HSAs. HSAs is kind of like in a wheelhouse for me. I love HSAs. If uh, anybody were to have a high deductible, qualified high deductible health plan, you can contribute to an HSA. An HSA is a health savings account, and it is a qualified account. It's money you put in, and uh, it's one of the few tools out there that has actually got the triple tax advantage. You can take the money pre-tax from your payroll check Mm -hmm. and deposit money into a tax-free account the money you put in is 100% tax deductible on your on uh, lowers your reduces your taxable income and then when it comes time to pull that money out it's tax free so it's a triple tax i mean it's that's a huge advantage uh, and a lot of people are, are kind of missing the boat on this if you have a hsa account you can actually use it for a uh, retirement tool mm-hmm. Uh, there are several different things you can take that money and use that money in an HSA. I've got some clients that got fifty, sixty thousand dollars built up in an HSA account. Wow, that's a lot. That's yeah. not what I normally see. A lot of people put that money in there and they use that to supplement deductibles and that. But you can actually use it as a retirement tool. You know, just to give you some examples of where that money can be spent: office visits or copays on your health insurance, your deductibles, any deductibles you might have. If you have a high deductible plan, you move into um, Medicare and you go with an Advantage plan where you've got some out-of-pocket co-pays, you can use that health savings account for that. You can use it for dental expenses, vision expenses, uh, prescription drugs, any of those items out of your pocket, you can use the HSA. The other really nice thing, and a good reason to build up an HSA account is you can actually use that money to pay your Medicare premiums. That's huge. You know, for so, so someone that's got $50,000 in an HSA account, they'll never pay a Medicare premium. I mean, right now it's 170 10 a month, and uh, it was 148 50 last year, and it's going to go up next year. We know that. Those are things that are just givens. But um, this is a way to actually lessen that expense, that monthly expense you have during retirement. You know, hearing aids, uh, hospital physical therapy, wheelchairs, walkers, uh, you know, you can actually, here's another one that a lot of people don't know about, you can actually use it for some long-term care coverage. Uh, So these are all things that we talk about um, routinely here at at, um, America's Retirement Headquarters and AMA and and, um, the group here. But these are all expenses that are out of your pocket. So just to give you some ideas on what an HSA and how much you can contribute, for 2021, an individual can contribute up to $3,600. A married couple or family can contribute up to $7,200. Now, if you're an old man like me, Anybody over 55 years old can do an additional $1,000 catch-up. So that basically means you could put in $9,200 into an HSA, get the advantage of pre-tax dollars, reduce your taxable income, and have tax-free when you pull that money out. Scott, how do you know if you have a high deductible? What does your have to, what does your deductible have to be? So your your health insurance premium that, those deductibles have fluctuated, but the the lowest deductible I believe is twenty five hundred at this point. Uh, but you have to have a plan that actually has it'll actually tell you whether it's a qualified uh, HSA account. Gotcha. Most high deductible plans, for example, you cannot have a office copay. You cannot have a prescription card. You cannot have any of those items and have a high deductible health plan that's qualified for an HSA account. So, you know, these are all good good reasons to maximize your HSA account. Put put as much money as you can. Like you said, put that money in there and, uh, you know, as much as you possibly can for last year and then maximize it out this year. Yeah. I love how... If you've noticed in our segments and our shows, everything kind of coordinates around taxes. 
there's always a component of social security, uh, tax regarding social security, mm-hmm. tax regarding your health care and medical spending strategies. Uh, it's the one thing that we can control. You know, it's that that old adage where it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I think that's one thing that you'll see that's unique here at America's Retirement Headquarters is that we, in everything that we do, it, it has a lens of tax overlay on right. it. And that right. helps us. It's it's the difference between, you know, investment management and wealth management in helping you save that 10 or 15%, you know, maximizing those dollars you know, similar to the way that we recommend clients, you know, contribute to a, an IRA. Is it better to contribute to a traditional? Is it better to contribute to a Roth? Again, it depends on your situation, um, you know, whether or not it makes sense to do an, a Roth uh, conversion. But essentially, the concepts that we try to get across to our clients are, is it? do you think it's better to pay tax on the seed or on the harvest? Right. And I ask that sometimes the clients, they'd say, well, I'd rather pay on the on the seed, of course. you know, because the harvest is going to be great. And so that's the, a simple analogy of whether or not traditional or Roth makes the most sense to you. When do you want to pay tax? Do you want to pay now or do you want to pay on the growth of that investment? I don't want to pay at all. Well, that is the thing you have to keep in mind. You still do have to, to pay them. I mean, we're not, we're not saying anything that's, you know, that's not above level here. Taxes are a completely different game when it comes to retirement. And so many people are concerned with, you know, April 15th or April 18th this year, you know, what they owe the tax man, what they owe the IRS this year. But what about for the next 20 years, the next 30 years of your retirement? Do you have a plan for that? If not, uh, you need to pick up the phone and speak with America's retirement headquarters because markets will fluctuate. The money you have in, in the market will go up and down. But once you write that check to Uncle Sam, it's gone. So go ahead and start developing that plan, that tax savvy plan with America's retirement headquarters today. Pick up the phone, give a call 419 794 3030, or you can always find them online, America's Retirement Headquarters.com. There's more to come actually with America's Retirement Headquarters. And we're going to kick things off with a new segment we're calling Committed to the 419. America's Retirement Headquarters, as you all know, locally owned and operated right here uh, in Ohio. And in this segment, we're going to pay it forward, so to speak, shine a light on other local businesses and groups that support the 419 area in various ways. And today, for our maiden voyage, uh, we're pleased to have Allison Schroeder and Einstein with Nature's Nursery. So, uh, guys, welcome to the show. Let's jump in and find out exactly what Nature's Nursery is all about. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, and Allison, I want to thank you. And uh, please keep that thing on a, on whatever you got going over there. It looks at me and its eyes are like I'm ready to scratch his eyeballs okay. out. But um, Einstein, welcome to the show. Allison, I want to thank you very much for, for joining us. Um, I've been out to Nature's Nursery and it's it's awesome. I understand you've got um, a couple of eagles, which for anybody that's seen my logo, I've got the eagle in my logo, which is pretty cool. I love it. But uh, why don't you... Give us a little bit of uh, information on Nature's Nursery and what exactly uh, you're all about. Sure, I would love to. Um, Nature's Nursery is a wildlife rescue organization. So we rescue native wildlife from an 18-county region around Ohio. We have been in existence now for almost 33 years. Wow. And yes, we it started in a someone's home in, in their barn. They were taking in a few animals here and there and it's grown. We now take in almost 4,000 animals per year for rescue and rehabilitation. 4,000? 4,000. Wow. 37 and some change last year. Wow. Um, a little bit more the previous year. So, and those are just the animals that come in through our door. We go out and help animals in their, mm-hmm. in their natural habitat so that they can stay there as well. So, and then we also do wildlife education. And Einstein is one of our education ambassadors. We've got about 25 animals that have come in. Um, throughout the years and for various reasons could not be released. So Einstein is one of those animals and we file a special permit to be able to keep them for education. We have a full-time education director, lots of education volunteers and they take these animals and they go and they um, visit schools and they go to Cub Scouts and nursing homes and they teach people Oh, he's talking. He's, talking. he's putting in his uh, little... Uh, they, they, we use them to, to teach people about wildlife, teach people about the environment, um, mm-hmm. the, the various habitats that the animals live in. You know, like you said, you, your organization is based on helping people. Uh, although people think of us as an animal organization, we are a people organization. Sure. And these animals are, are very important to the community that live, we live in, not only the natural resources, but, you know, the overall environment and the ecosystems. 
So for the people that, are, uh, that aren't watching on YouTube or on Facebook, the people that are just listening, Einstein, as you may have heard, is, is not a person. But uh, can, you, can you tell them uh, yeah. who we've got there? Einstein is an eastern screech owl, and he came in in 2009. He was in a, uh, a nest that fell from a tree, oh. and um, he was very stubborn. We had to hand feed him for, for many weeks, and he got just way too used to people and was not able to pass the tests that he had to pass in order to be released into the wild. So um, he got to uh, hang out with us for sure. the rest of his life here. I mean, he's, he's living a good life and serving a great purpose of being able to teach people about wildlife. How long does an owl typically live, do you know? Um, this species of owl lives uh, about 12 to 15 years in captivity. So, you know, he's, he's a senior at this point. Sure. He's ready for <laughs> retirement, as you guys were talking about earlier. And, uh, you know, in the wild, the lifespan's obviously a lot shorter. There are a lot more predators and things to worry about. Well, that's awesome. I mean, to see one like this, um, it's, it's pretty cool. So what happens, what do you do to bring, to get an animal in? Like if I were to see an injured squirrel or rabbit or owl for that matter, what's the procedure? Well, I mean, I've never done this before, so uh, well, shame on me, I can tell you, but. Knowing you as I do, I would say, uh, keep an eye on it and let us come out. It really just depends on, on the species. Um, we always recommend people give us a call or send us a message on Facebook. We'd like to get a feel for the situation, what, what they're seeing. We ask people to just kind of stand by and observe, keep it safe until um, we can get a feel for what's going on. And then again, it depends on the species. If it's an animal that could be a risk to a human, we would want one of our trained volunteers to come out and, and help out. Um, if it's a bunny, I think even you could handle a baby bunny if it needed oh, yeah. to come in. Uh, we would talk you through the process to make sure that, you know, like a lot of times people think they find a nest of bunnies in their yard, they assume that they're orphans. Right. They're not. Mom bunnies are the worst nest builders. Um, she's around, you're just not gonna see her. She only comes at dusk and dawn. So we always want people to check with us first. We've got ways that we can help them learn to see the signs if mom has been there or not. But yeah, the recommendation is always to get in touch with us before you interfere. Is there anything you won't take? Oh, we cannot take deer, raccoon, and swans. Um, deer and raccoon just have very, they just, all three of those actually have very strict uh, guidelines as far as uh, with wildlife permits and things of that nature. Really? Mm -hmm. um, raccoons require very extensive quarantine time and we just don't have the space for it. And then deer just are, the rules and regulations with deer, there's more than we can handle. So. Sure. But um, everything else, all native wildlife, we take fox and we take, we don't, I'm sorry, we also don't take coyotes, but owls, hawks, eagles, as you mentioned. Yeah. Snakes, yeah, that's, turtles, frogs. I would have never guessed that you could take an eagle, um, but well, I could guess you could take an eagle, but why would you not be able to take a swan or something? But you know, hey, it, it makes sense, All the I different guess. rules, yep. Yeah, each species has its own rules, and some of them have to be released right back to the zip code where they came from, right to the neighborhood that they came from. Um, there is a lot of rules and regulations. So anybody who thinks that they can take care of wildlife at home and and uh, they find the animal and they think, oh, well, I'm just gonna care for it at home. It's highly, not, it's not recommended to do so. Sure. The rules, you can get in trouble, lots of trouble. We have a lot of permits and policies and procedures in place to do it the right way. And I know this so, just by virtue of my last name, you know, Chris Swan, like swans, yeah. like the, the real bird itself, they are, they're nasty little guys out there. They, they can be, so I understand that entirely. You're like, yes. yeah, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna deal with those guys. Eagles, owls, fine, but uh, yeah, swans can be pretty aggressive and pretty vicious. Yes. So tell me about the eagles you have, because I, I think, you know, we talked in, in uh, I, I heard, or maybe it was on uh, Facebook, but you were talking about maybe trying to get the Toledo Zoo to take one of them? Yeah, so we had an eagle that came in. It was found injured in the Point Place area, and we brought it in, checked it out, and found out that it was banded. We were able to research the band and find sure. out that it was 27 years old. Mm. Wow. Originally banded in its nest in Ohio. So it's been in this area for 27 years. The, the average lifespan of a, a bald eagle is much less than 27, usually like 22, 23 years. Wow. So this is a very old bald eagle. Um, and after doing x-rays, we found that it had a uh, wrist dislocation. So if you picture a, a, what goes on underneath the feathers of a, of a bird, it looks very similar to a human arm and hand and the wrist part was dislocated and it was not a very clean dislocation, it was infected. Um, and it also was, was showing some signs of some heart murmurs and things, old age type things. But we are taking care of it and the wound is healing up very nicely. It is not fixable as far as the injury, so it's not releasable. 
but we are working with the Toledo Zoo and we're hoping to be able yeah. to transfer the bird to them once it's fully rehabilitated so it can live out its life there at the Toledo Zoo and stay here local. So I know at the Toledo Zoo, right when you walk into the Toledo Zoo, they have that, that the mm -hmm. two bald eagles. I yep. think they have two of them in there. Those birds are just amazing to me. I know um, in Waterville, heading towards the Bowling Green area, there I see there's a big nest up on that island over there. and I mean, they say they're like nine feet wide. They these, are. They're these huge. Nests. The nests are huge. The birds are huge. You cannot even begin to really get a full respect for the size of those birds until they're up close. I got to take one to assist with uh, x-rays for it. And they, they spread the wings out and it takes up this whole exam table. And wow. it's, just, it's amazing. And the talons are just huge. I mean, they are very, very impressive birds. And, they, and there are a lot more around. Um, sure. But they're still federally protected, even though they're not still mm -hmm. endangered. So we have very specific guidelines when we take one in and adds a little bit more complication to our job with all the tracking and things that we have to do. But, sure. you know, our, our whole system there is set up just like human interactions in a hospital. The minute the animal comes in, it's all it's triaged. It's tracked in the computer system, mm -hmm. just like you would be charted in a hospital. And everything's tracked from day one until release. So we've got very specific data on all the animals. You know, I was going to mention, like Nature's Nursery, the health and well-being of the animals is kind of like what we do at, um, you know, myself with America's Medicare Associates and the importance of having the proper care for these injured animals and, and the importance of, of someone purchasing a, uh, you know, the proper health insurance, you know, the education and that's why we have you here is to kind of educate the the public out there on exactly what takes place with an injured animal and it's kind of like a lot of the things that i do with the education on the medicare and the health insurance that people need i think it's very important that you pick and choose the right facilities the right care uh, you know, to, to make sure that you minimize the expenses and costs out of your pocket. So with, with an animal, what kind of funding do you have? Where does funding come from? How do you survive? Uh, because uh, Einstein's not paying a premium for the care that he's right, getting right. with you. That would be fantastic if that was an option. It really would. Um, no, we are completely funded by donations and community support grants. Um, we do not get any, any tax dollars. But we just have a wonderful base of, of loyal donors and supporters that understand what we do. It's always interesting. I love to talk to donors and say, you know, what's your motivation? Why do you why do you donate? And some of them, it's simply because the animals are cute and sure. you know, they want to help the animals and they think Einstein's adorable and they want to be able to make sure that he's taken care of. And then there's people who understand the bigger picture and, and the fact that these animals play an important role in our community. And animals have, going back to the beginning of time, played a significant role to humans. Mm -hmm. you know, they are the, um, the starting point of modern medicine. Medicine and uh, everything that we know about medicine and healthcare in some way came from animals. Sure. You know? And studying these animals teaches us so much about what we know about how to care for humans. And they all play that role. So you know, one of the, one of the the examples I love to give is the bat population. You know, the bat people think bats are creepy. Mm -hmm. I feel like you probably think bats. Are yeah, creepy. I, I pretty much yeah, do. Yeah, you know, the old the old um, uh, the movies where the bats fly and they get tangled up in your hair. Yeah, and, yeah. Is that true? I mean, does that really happen? Well, they get sure. tangled I in mean, your hair. If, it okay. can. Yeah, it can. But so that's not changing my opinion on bats. I, I didn't figure it would. Okay. Um, I mean, they're not looking to get tangled in anybody's hair. Trust me. Okay. Trust me. They're just, they don't want to be there. Um, but the bat population in this area is down about 70% due to habitat destruction. Wow. Building mm. houses and ruining the areas that they lived. And also something called white nose syndrome, which which killed off a significant amount of bats. But, you know, if yeah, I know you wanted to talk too. <laughs> um, so the bat population, the bats... Bats control the, the insects, the flying insects. So not only the mosquitoes that drive us crazy, but all those bugs in the air that destroy our crops. And we're in a big sure. agricultural area here. Mm -hmm. So with the bat population being down, those bugs are destroying the crops. So what do the farmers do? They spray the crops. Pesticides, yeah. What yep. are they, they're spraying pesticides. Where are those pesticides going to end up? They're washing off the crops. They're on the ground. The rodents are eating them. The hawks are eating the rodents. The hawks get sick. It washes into the waterways. It kills the fish. Now the shorebirds don't have you know, clean water to drink. So it's all that that circular impact of we need to keep these bats alive. We've had 37 bats at the center all winter long that we've been feeding to keep alive until wow. they can be released. Sure. Because every one of those plays that important role. Um, so you know that those studies and those things that that um, scientists do and these pharmaceutical companies do mm -hmm. to learn about humans. And I'm not talking just lab rat stuff right. here. I'm talking. No. 
literally studying the behavior and the things that animals are immune to. And why are they immune to it? Well, they must have something in their system mm-hmm. that makes them immune to it. Let's figure what that out is and clone it and use it as medicine. Sure. It's, sure. it's all really fascinating. I mean, if you really think about it, like the mosquitoes, you know, you get diseases from mosquito bites or any other type of, of insects. And what does that do? That just causes, the, drives the cost of healthcare up because people are going to the doctors, going to the hospitals. And, and obviously a healthy environment, whether it be the ecosystem or the healthcare system, mm-hmm. is only going to help everybody involved. I mean, it's, that's, that's very, very important. That's really, really interesting. You know, one of the other things that we're going to be doing, uh, or one of the other guests we're going to have on, is an organization called Hooves. I don't know. You love Hooves? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, kind of taking a little bit different angle on that is, um, I know you and I talked uh, before we started the show here today, but we talked about um, service animals. And I know service animals and wildlife are different, unless you have a, a seeing eye wolf no seeing eye wolves. No seeing eye wolves. <laughs> but I can tell you, they, these animals all bring me a sense of calm. So in a, in a way, no question. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and as a lot of people know, because we talked about hooves, and, and uh, Nolan is um, uh, on the board of directors for hooves. What the animals in general, and what the horses do for the uh, the veterans out there, and and the PTSD that they have, and all of the things that are going on animals just bring a sense of calm to you and, and like you said i mean you gotta love your job you go in and you play with animals all day right i do i do, I do. yeah you know there's some messy parts that come with it but you know if you think about it so studying the human body i mean we're all essentially the same right i mean there's, sure. there's exceptions you particularly yeah. however <laughs> okay um <laughs> in general the human body is all the same across the board but animals all these various different species and variations of the species there's so much to learn from that. So when you're studying the human body, there's only so much you can learn about the human body. Sure. If there's a problem that you need to figure out how to fix, you can go to these all these animal species and learn about how are they, how did their bodies adapt to these situations and how have they adapted over time. And for example, um, a, a snake antivenom was discovered by studying opossums because an opossum could get bit by the snake and not be impacted at all, whereas mm. a human would die pretty instantly. So they studied that and figured out well, what is it about this opossum that, you know, was able to fight off this this bite from this venomous snake? And they just they were able to come up with antivenom. So, yeah, it's it's all pretty fascinating the the role that animals play in our world. These are really really fascinating. The ladies in the office were excited about you coming in, and they wanted to see um, cute little possum or the owl. And uh, one of them was saying, "Bring a snake, bring a snake," and and. Uh, Sorry, but we had I had marching had orders. Agreement. Yeah, yeah. I, I just had a contract, no snakes allowed yeah. on the show by Scott. <laughs> I'm not a snake or ronin person at all, at all. So do you have a, a veterinarian or do you have the medical staff? Are they on staff or do you send these animals out to different um, veterinarians or who takes care of these animals for we you? We have an amazing vet from the Toledo Zoo that comes over okay. once a week and it you know does his rounds at Nature's Nursery, helps do procedures and, and do checks and make sure on, on things that are kind of above our, our skill level. We can consult with him anytime he comes in if, we're, if you know there's an emergency situation. He's fantastic. But then we also have uh, just numerous animal care uh, staff that have, have been doing this for a while. And um, I assure you, it's a it's a job of heart because, sure. you know, it is a nonprofit. And, and these folks just, their passion just fuels them. And they are so good at what they do. And they care so much. So it always just amazes me the amount of animals that come through the door. And yet, you know, every single one gets that care as if they're the only one that's come in that door that day. And we get to a point of taking in, you know, 100 a day. Sure. And they will stay after hours after they clock out and, and take care of these animals. But, you know, we have about 80 volunteers that, that okay. help us out, wow. whether they come in and clean and, and help with diet and, and feeding the animals and taking care of them or they are. We have what we call transporters. They go out, you know, when you find that that dangerous mm-hmm. bunny in your backyard that you're yeah. afraid, to, <laughs> afraid to help. Our transporters oh. will go out there and assist you on site and, and make sure that they get back safely to the facility. Well, let me ask this because I know obviously on the show we we give ambivalent answers because it depends on situation to situation. And so I'm prepared for that here. But with the amount of, of animals that you guys have coming in and coming out, is there a window where you guys know or you can kind of figure out whether or not they're going to be able to be rehabilitated and released or they're going to become lifers like Einstein here? 
Yes, uh, there, there definitely is. And, and again, it is case by case basis, mm -hmm. but our clinic staff is pretty good at, you know, we don't want to set up an animal for failure. This isn't a situation of, of a pet where you can send it home with someone and make sure it's accommodated to survive with three legs or be on medication for the rest of its life. Yeah. So if, if we see those indications coming and we know it's not going to be successful in the wild, um, we sometimes have to make hard decisions and, mm -hmm. and either look to take it on as an education ambassador, relocate it to another center to be used as an education ambassador, or in many cases, you know, we have to humanely euthanize it. Sure. And a lot of times that's, that's the best thing for the animal. It's never an easy decision. It doesn't no, of matter. Not. You know, what species it is. It's obviously harder with some of the, the bigger, more prominent species, but even the, the smaller ones, the, the bunnies and the squirrels and stuff, um, it's not a decision we ever take lightly. We want to give them every fighting chance. Mm. Our resources are limited and our space is limited. So, um, you know, if it's going to be something that we're going to have a, a bad outcome and the animal is going to suffer in the meantime, then we want to make sure we make those decisions sooner rather than later. So at, at the Toledo Zoo, I have um, a couple of contacts and clients over to Toledo Zoo. And, and um, so you'll actually contact them. If you have an injured animal, they'll come out and get it or you'll deliver it to there and they'll do they take care of everything there? Like, for example, if you need x-rays, you don't have those resources available where you're at. Correct. Where we are at, we do not have the, have x-rays. So we actually, um, Heather Downs Veterinary Clinic lets us come there once a week. Oh, okay. Animals there for x-rays. Cool. Um, yes, they are, they've been wonderful allowing us to do that for many years. The zoo, we work with them on, on specific cases. And it, generally, animals do not go from us to the zoo. Um, we would be more likely to transfer to, like, another rehabilitation center. Okay. The next closest one is in the Sadusky area called Back to the Wild, and then there's some down in southern Ohio. But we are pretty much the only one in northwest Ohio covering about an 18-county region, which is which is why we get so many. They come well, all over. that was going to be my next question. So you're in uh, the White House, Ohio area. How far do you go? Uh, are you all Ohio? Do you reach out into Michigan and Indiana at all? Or what's the um, uh, the area that you cover that you'll take your animals from? We can take them from all those areas. Um, there are some specific guidelines of what can come across the state line, but if permits will allow, we will take them. We have transporters on the outskirts in all those areas that will go out and assist um, if we get a case in that, you know, in that region, or people will bring it to us. I mean, we've had people drive two and a half hours with with an in one baby squirrel to to get it to us. And, you know, we always say we take care of animals, but we're a people organization. Like, sure. The animals don't come knocking on our door for help. The people right. bring them in. And, you know, it's the people that have that compassion and that feeling of relief to know that we're there to be able to, to, be able to help out and take care of the animal. Uh, you know, usually they come in and kids are crying at the door because they, they're worried about it. Oh, yeah, and, sure. You know, they've named it Speedy and it's, <laughs> oh, no. you know, it's got a stuffed animal in its cage with them and all of those things. So, we want to make sure that we give them the time and comfort and the follow-up on, on the case and let them know that that animal's in great hands. I could totally so, see my son. Uh, he's six. Oh, and yeah. He loves animals. I could totally see him doing that, and so that, that really tugs uh, at my yeah. heartstrings. He's going to be very jealous to know that I, I got to play radio very, today with an owl. Yeah, it's very hard <laughs> for, to explain to kids, you know, that they have to hand this animal mm -hmm. over. We actually have a little uh, book that I made that's called I'm a Wildlife Hero, and it, and it explains, you know, I found an animal, and I, I, I called mom, and mom called the center, and they were taking it in, and this is the most loving thing I can do for this animal is to hand it over. But it's really hard for little kids to understand that. But we give them a sticker, and then they're usually fine after the little sticker. <laughs> makes you know, everything stickers better, make for it sure. All, yeah. Stickers make it all better. It makes them feel all better about themselves. So have you ever come across a situation where you've got somebody out there that has an exotic animal of any type? We do. And, and we've had, you know, people call us because there's a macaw parrot lost in you know, in their tree, you know, and there's, we have to, we want to help all the animals. It's just in our nature, but there are times where we just have to say, you know, this, this is not what we do. Sure. We cannot come out there and help catch your macaw out of the tree. Um, however, our education fox, Lenny, Lenny, our education fox, he's the coolest. He, he was one of those situations. He was, he was out at, at the Metro parks and he was going up to people and he was looking for someone to scratch his head and stealing sandwiches oh and climbing in cars. And uh, we're 99% sure that Lenny was someone's pet. And they said, you know, I don't want to raise a fox anymore. It's a wild animal. I'm just going to release it. Right. And we have other situations of that as well with animals and that human interaction. You know, people, as a kid, I wanted to have every pet I could. Yeah, sure. Including ducks. Yeah, absolutely. Including ducks. You know, and I, and I thought that the way to love an animal was to bring it into my world. And I've realized that the way to love an animal is to love it in their world. Mm -hmm. right. Go out and watch it in nature. 
don't feed it because it's it's good. You don't need to feed it. That's usually causes more harm than good. But um, you know, we've we've found guinea pigs lost in parks because people are like, I'm done with the guinea pig. I'm going to release it. It doesn't it doesn't work out very well for the guinea pig. Well, I know you've had uh, several ducks, little duckies in your life. I um, did, I did. Yeah, I remember seeing the pictures of them in your bathtub, and um, it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, seriously. This is why they won't let me foster animals now that I have this job. That was pre my pre my career yes. at Nature's Nursery. Now they know I'm not allowed to take any ducks home because they yeah. know absolutely with certainty that I'm going to be having them swim in my bathtub. So, what's the name of the duck you have at the, the office? Oh, that's Martin. Martin. Martin is our office duck, Martin. and he pretty much runs the show. He's He's the only free-range animal that just wanders around and does whatever he wants to do. The rest of them are kept in their little individual habitats. Well, Einstein has actually been very, very he cooperative. He's super good. I mean, he this hasn't is really even cool. done anything bad on your desk. He's chimed in yeah. a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's cool. A little bit. That's cool. So, you know, one of the things and, and part of the reason why we wanted to have you in was because of all of the great things you do for the community. And I know that you and I actually do business together. We You've do. been a client of mine for a long time. And... Um, one of the things I do is I write health insurance. You don't necessarily have to be a nonprofit organization to get a group health plan. You know, you've got some employees that I was able to help out with their with their group health insurance. We're setting them up some for some dental insurance. Hopefully, it's all been going well. So I, I guess I'm asking a loaded question. If it's bad, I hope you don't tell me on the air. But I um, no, um, you know, as a nonprofit, obviously, we watch every every penny, every dollar. And sure. um, up until a year and a half ago, we were not able to provide medical insurance for our staff. And I honestly wasn't sure that it was going to be doable, even when sure. I called you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, your help was, was fantastic in putting together numbers that worked for us to get us good coverage. Um, at a price we could afford, I took it to my board, and and they were they were all in favor of it. You know, you got to take care of your people who are are taking care of your organization. Well, that's awesome. Well, I want to thank Einstein and yourself. It's been wonderful having you. Hopefully, we can uh, do this in the future and maybe get some more um, animals. No snakes. Bring I'm, I'm snake st- next time. I'm, I'm, All I'm, the snakes. I'm staying. And the bats. No, I, the bats. Uh, no rodents. I know. It, okay, what's an a what's a possum? Is that it's a marsupial. rodent? Marsupial. Marsupial. Yeah. There you go. Marsupial. Okay, so ah. Uh, yeah, that reminds me of a rodent. We got time to talk about it down the road. Let me let me go and give out information on, on how people can find out more Please. about Nature's Nursery. It's a natures-nursery.org. That's where you can go find out more about the nursery, uh, what to do if you find an animal in need, and should you feel so inclined, how to donate your time, your talent, or your treasure uh, to Nature's Nursery to help them in their mission. I, I think it's a pretty noble mission here. Nature's Nursery clearly committed to the 419, just like America's Retirement Headquarters is here. Uh, and so... As we wrap up the show, I want to thank everybody out there for joining us, tuning in this week, uh, spending a little time. Hopefully you found this insightful. Uh, the number for America's Retirement Headquarters, 419-794-3030. If you have questions about your retirement or you want to learn more about Nature's Nursery, again, uh, 419-794-3030. Please have a great week out there. Uh, have a safe week out there. And guys, as we wrap up, Einstein, if you want to, uh, whoever wants to, I want to leave you guys with the final word. Well, too bad that isn't on command where she can, or, <laughs> or he can chirp. Thank you all for listening, and have a great uh, rest of your weekend. America's Retirement Headquarters is located at 1700 Woodlands Drive in Maumee, Ohio. You can reach them by calling 419-794-3030 or online at americasretirementheadquarters.com. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussion not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell any financial vehicle. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments can fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Nolan Baker is not affiliated with nor endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency and does not provide legal or tax advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstances. Annuity guarantees rely solely on the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. By contacting us, you may be provided with information about insurance and annuity products offered through Nolan Baker, Ohio Insurance License Number 27787.